Welcome, and thank you for joining us today for the teaching and preaching ministry from Central Baptist Church, Kannapolis, North Carolina. As senior pastor, Dean Hunter shares from the Bible how to live in a fallen world. The goal of Central Baptist Church is to change the world by teaching the Word of God. Come, let's listen in. We're in 2 Timothy chapter 4 today. While you're turning there, a couple weeks ago, I made the statement while we were preaching about the importance of the Bible being the absolute truth of the Word of God. And I made a statement that if you do a little research, there's people that say 3,000, 5,000, 8,000 promises in the Word of God. He's promised He would never leave us, He would never forsake us. Whatever you're going through, if you're born again, He is a friend that sticks closer than any brother. And He's there and He cares. No matter what you're going through, He cares. Psalm 139 says, He cares, and not only does He care, His thoughts toward us individually are more in number than the grains of sand. The psalmist said, if I should try to count them, it's futile. What a thought that the God of heaven, the creator of everything that is, and sustainer of everything that is, really does care about you. If you're a born-again Christian, he cares. When you're upset, he cares. When you're sorrowful, he cares. When you're sad, and um, he wants to help. If you're lost, then you know it. Between you and God, you know you've never been born again. The Bible is clear that God cares about you. Not only does he care, he loves you in an unfathomable way that while you were yet sinners, while I was a sinner and at war, at enmity with God, he loved me enough to send Jesus to pay my price, to pay your price. If you'll call on him and accept him as your savior, he'll do just that. Second Timothy chapter four, I trust You're being open and honest with God today and allow him to do something in your heart and life. A few weeks ago, several weeks ago now, we started in 2 Timothy looking at the title of Lessons for the Last Days. Give us a little recap real quick before we read today's text, which will be verses 6 through 8. Last week we were in 1 through 5. It's clear in Scripture, it's clear in 2 Timothy and the New Testament that the last days are not necessarily those last few days before the trumpet sounds. Are we there? Maybe. Let's take a quick 20-second time out early in the game and pause and think, just between you and God, what if we were just three days away. No man knows. Jesus said, I don't even know. Not only, only the Father in heaven knows. What a sobering thought to bring perspective to your life today. What if he comes 
three days from now. That could be part of the last days. It would be part of the last days. But the last days that Paul is referring to are the days, the weeks, the months, the years, now the decades since Jesus ascended back to the Father until he returns. We're living in the last days. Paul tells young preacher Timothy that in the last days there will be perilous times. The word there is fierce. Difficult would not do justice to the word that God says will be taking place in the last days. Anybody still read a newspaper? No comment. My dad used to call the Daily Independent the Daily Mistake. And I know some people that call the Salisbury Post the Salisbury Compost. You watch the news. I know a lot of you get your favorite news from Facebook. I have it on good authority. It's 100% accurate all the time. But in the midst of the crazy news today, there is some real news that we don't have to be a theologian or a college-educated individual to know we're living in perilous, fierce days. Things are happening that you can't make up. People are saying things and doing things that you would not ever believe they could have imagined. It's interesting, Scripture uses the words imaginations and unnatural feelings, and we see it happening. We're living in the last days. We're living in perilous times. God tells us, Paul tells us in his writing that in these last days, one of the signs of the last days and perilous times will be the apostasy that's taking place within the church, the local church and the church universal, where people who have said and acted as if they're born again, believers, they've shouted her out, will be falling by the wayside as the fierceness intensifies, as the pressure is turned up, as the heat gets hotter. There will be a purging, there will be a filtering, there will be a falling away of people that you would have never thought. Man, I thought they were Christian if anybody was. And we're seeing that. We're seeing it in a very elementary backwoods way where people just fall out of church and fall out of faith and fall out of love with Jesus and all the stuff. And then you're seeing it in a very academic way where people are, as we mentioned a couple weeks ago, deconstructing their faith which is just a very smart way of saying, I'm headed for hell. This is what's happening in the last days. Men are becoming more and more lovers of themselves. It's a selfish society, not just in America, but across the world. They're having live, living lives of selfishness, and then he says there's lips of godliness. People that only say they are. In today's text, in verses 6 through 8, Paul really, verses 1 through 5 and 6 through 8 shouldn't be separated, but so that I keep it under two hours, I separated it. 
It's really a conclusion to a concluding paragraph or chapter in the, in the English text. But in verses 6 through 8, Paul is basically giving his, what I would call epitaph. His, uh, y'all know what an epitaph is, right? It's what you put on your tombstone. Some people do. I've, de- I've determined, my wife won't, I won't look at her when I say this. I've determined mine is going to say, he had to do everything. <laughs> That's why I said I wasn't going to look, but I did. And still caught the end of the eye roll. It's long enough. Do I have to do everything? He had to do everything. I've seen several in preparation for this sermon. Don't Google them now, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of real funny ones. Like people really have them on their tombstone. I'm not going to talk about those, but I did see one that said, here lies the body of Jonathan Blake. He stepped on the gas instead of the brake. (laughs) Really? I'm not sure if that one's real or not. But um, there's some pretty cool ones out there. Um, But I won't go any further because of time. Would you stand as we honor God's word as we read these three verses together? Verses 6, 7, 8, 2 Timothy chapter 4. It's a good crowd. School starts back tomorrow for some. Cabarrus County, is that tomorrow? Kannapolis is tomorrow right behind. Rowan Salisbury, we're already two weeks ahead. You'll never catch up. <laughs> Y'all might not appreciate this, but just say amen. Thank the Lord that we have a superintendent in Rowan Salisbury, and I've checked that off my list. Amen. If you don't like her, tell her, not me. If you don't care, good for you. Paul's writing to this young preacher, this pastor, and he says in verse 6, for I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I finished my course or finished my race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, or therefore, because of verse 7, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give to me on that day. You say, well, that, that doesn't help me out. The next part will. But not only to me, but unto all them that love his appearing. I've said this a million times. You've heard preachers say this. There's only two types of people in the world, lost, saved, going to heaven, going to hell. Another way to look at it, there's two types of people, those who are looking forward to his appearing and those who are dreading his appearing. I believe atheists dread his appearing because I believe scripture and I believe God has put it in the heart of every man to know their creator. And I think the most, I won't say that word, uh, the most uh, strict atheist, the most hardcore atheist in their heart of hearts has a longing to know their creator and, and just maybe if he returns like the Bible and all those crazy Christians say I'm not looking forward to that if you're lost today and you know it you got everybody snowed over and fooled you're not looking for his return I promise you on the, on the authority of the word of God you're not looking loving the thought of his return but if you're truly born again and you have peace in your heart and you lay your head at night 
on the pillow knowing that it's going to be all right, then you're longing and loving the thought of him returning one day. Would you pray with me, Father? We thank you for your word. I pray that today it will be encouraging to believers. But at the same time, I pray your word will be convicting to lost people. That your Holy Spirit will convict them and they would see themselves in need of a Savior. May every person be able to leave this room today. What a, what a crazy, lofty goal, but may every person in this room be able to walk out today with the assurance and confidence that they are loving the thought of you returning one day. And may nobody leave fearful or dreading your return. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Three quick points in these lessons for the last days. And today we're looking specifically at maybe a subtitle, if you will, an example to follow. Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. We lift Paul up, and rightly so. He's uh, a leader in the New Testament church. He was called of God. He was an apostle. And, of course, he was a, an integral writer of the New Testament and the, the epistles, the pastoral epistles, the book of Romans, and so many others that are vital to our Christian walk. But in these six, three verses, six through eight, there's a really easy for a preacher breakdown to preach expositionally three points, like we like to do, of Paul's testimony. And in verses six, seven, and eight, Paul breaks down his testimony into three distinct perspectives. He looks at his, or he writes about his present testimony, he writes about his past testimony, and his future testimony. Every one of us in here have a, a past, a present, and a future. And even in our Christian walk, we have a testimony of who we were, what we've done, good or bad, what we're doing, and what's ahead. Everybody in this room can talk and communicate and hang out over coffee or steaks and, and talk about our past and our present. I'm not talking about, I used to live like a devil, not that past. You can talk about that, and sometimes it comes up in conversation that's worth hearing, but let's not be proud of our past. Am I good? Paul is talking about his past service his past testimony. I've been in Baptist church long enough. I've been in this church long enough. We can just you know, kind of just say it how it is. When, when we give testimonies, people get nervous. You get nervous when you think I'm going to talk about people giving testimonies. That's how nervous we get. Now stop because that wouldn't be helpful. When we do testify, by the way, Let's talk about what God has done and not stop there. I've been serving the Lord for 650 years, and I preached Sunday school for the first 400. For the last 250, I've been sitting in this pew, not doing a thing. That's a good testimony. That was a little over-exaggeration. Many of us can talk about we've done, what we've done. I'm encouraged by what you're doing. 
what we're doing. Because it ain't over yet. You heard me say that yet? If you had not heard me say something sounds like that in four years of being the pastor, you've been out or asleep or something has happened that I wasn't aware of. It's not over yet. He hasn't returned yet. He is coming, but not yet. So we've got a job to do. Now, we have a past testimony, we have a present testimony, and all of us born-again Christians can collectively get together and hang out and talk about our future as a believer. But not everybody can talk about that. Paul first in verse 6 says, in his present testimony, I am now ready to be offered and the time of my departure is at hand. Um, A a better maybe English translation is he's saying, I am um, currently being offered. The reference there is a drink offering. Some of you see that in your study notes. You've seen that before, heard that before. So we see Paul's immediate duty. Right now, I am presently being made a drink offering. I am presently being offered. Remember where Paul is at? Prison. He's on death row. He knows, I don't know how, I don't know what the letter said, I don't know if he got a memo or a tweet or an email, but somehow he knows the time of his departure is at hand. He's been given a definite time. And so Paul says, in this current state, I am being offered. He had a past testimony, which he'll talk about in a second, that gives really um, confirmation and comfort in his present testimony. But he's saying right now what I am doing is part of God's plan, that I am being poured out. I am being offered as a sacrifice. This whole drink offering idea he referred to in Philippians 2.17, but if, if I am poured out as a drink offering on the sacrificial service of your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with you all, he told the church there at Philippi. Without going into details about the drink offering, there are different types of offerings in the Levitical system in the Old Testament, but what's significant about the drink offering that we understand is that it was all used. It was all poured out. Remember what Paul told Timothy in a few verses last week? Make foolproof your ministry. Exhaust your ministry. Leave nothing on the field, to use the sports analogy. And he says, I am currently being poured out. I've read behind some people, and I've heard some people say this before. Uh, I remember Jerry Falwell saying similar things to this when he would have death threats week after week after week, and you know, had, had that bomb teams come in and sweep the place because he was being threatened, and recent uh, pastors and, and really even political leaders that are standing for the Word of God, but they say this, um, that they're not afraid because God won't let them die until it's time to let them die. I think I believe that. Um, I want to believe that, but I don't think that means you should go looking to get shot. What Paul is saying is this process, what I'm living in, my sentencing for simply being a Christian, preaching the word of God, being in this prison and looking at my death a few days away, a few weeks away, I am understanding, listen, I'm I'm dead set on this fall, I'm preaching a series that might be the longest series ever on perspective. Perspective. Your perspective changes 
when you're truly born again. This man sitting in prison, illegally and unrighteously condemned to die, and he knows it's going to happen, and he can look at his situation through a godly perspective and say, I am being poured out, I'm being finished, and it's all within God's plan. That while I'm in here, I'm not just whining and griping and fussing and mad and mean and bitter. I'm going to write a letter to encourage a pastor. What a perspective. There are people that get, you know, uh, an ingrown toenail and they're out of church for three weeks and they're mad at everybody. And I'm told they hurt. But they blow up and blow out and they're upset at everything under the sun because they're toe and somebody didn't send them a card or put them on the prayer sheet or whatever else it might be. This guy is wrongfully in prison and going to be killed, not in the soft, cowardly way we kill people today in the government. Oh, that, that sounded wrong, didn't it? We're killing people in the government? Well, it just put you to sleep. Don't go about lawsuits, by the way, about that because that's inhumane. To put a murderer to sleep. That was way off target and it just went straight out. I get, I get sidetracked. Anybody remember the days when you used to stay up late and watch people get? That was fun. No, that was creepy. I think that now, like, am I that old that I remember, like, 11 o'clock tonight, Billy's getting put to death. I'm looking at young people like, is he making this up? No, it's real, it's real. They won't do what they did again. And it might prevent some others from doing it too. Oh my, he's one of those? I don't know. Paul's perspective was this is all part of God's plan and I am currently living out my sacrifice I'm being offered. He had an immediate duty because of his imminent departure. He understood the time was at hand. He said in verse 6, the last part, and the time of my departure is at hand. It's interesting that the word departure there is used. It, it has a couple different meanings. But it, it, in the perspective of us today, not that we think in the next few days our departure is at hand. I don't know if anybody in here is on death row. Maybe you got out today for one last Sunday. I hope your meal's good. But either way, anybody, anybody ever, y'all have your meal, your last meal planned out if you were to be executed? I've got one of those too, just in case. How crazy is this guy? I mean, it's just a buffet of all kind of different favorites from all kind of places. It's, are you planning to die on death? No, no, no. But just in case, I want a good meal. As a Christian, it reminds us of the imminence or the imminent nature of our own life. When we think about being poured out and Paul being poured out as a drink offering and laying it all on the line, has anybody reminded you lately that Scripture says life is short? It's like a vapor. It appears for a little while and it vanishes away. Job, the encourager, said man that is born of woman, which covers us all, even in 2022, um, man that's born of woman, his life is a few days and full of troubles. Forget the full of troubles for a second. It's a few days. It's short. Life is short. 
Anybody woke up this week and went, wow, I got old quick. Life is short. What does this have to do with the imminent departure? We're on borrowed time. We're not promised tomorrow. So what should we be doing? We should be pouring ourselves out, understanding that we're to be poured out, exhaust your ministry as a drink offering because time's running out. Is he just talking to pastors? No, he's talking to the church. He's talking to believers who have a role, who have a calling. Do it. Do it as unto the Lord because we're on borrowed time. Time is running out because we're living in the last days. There's not time. Listen, I, I used to hear an older preacher stand back here and talk to older people than him and say, there's no time to retire in the work of the Lord. Then he retired. No, but then he started back. Because he remembered what he had preached. Tell him I said that. I'll tell him right after church. I'll beat some of y'all to it. Don't text him. He's in church right now. The point is, we don't stop. If you've heard me say this, I'm sorry, but I'm going to keep saying it. Grandparents are just old people that love Jesus. We still need you. I need you. Almost 50-year-olds need you to be an example, to look up to. Yes, I'm almost 50, which makes you old. And then I look down and I see the 30-year-olds that I think I'm one of, and they need me. And those 30-year-olds need you 50-year-olds. And those 15-year-olds need you 30-year-olds. It's worth it because time is short. We only have so much time with our kids. We only have so much time with our grandkids. Senior adult leaders, you only have so much time here. Pour yourself out. Be used of God. There's no encouragement to this to me as a pastor. There's no encouragement greater than seeing a senior adult who's been saved for a thousand years still serving God. There's not one thing that lights my fire any better than that. Let's go to number two and try to get y'all out early today. Here we go. We see Paul's present. To, I, got, I can't. I got to talk about departure. The word departure is on purpose. It's, it can be used as a military term, which means to take down your tent and move on. I had to say that because isn't that encouraging? Some of you, the older ones in here are like, yeah, I'm ready to take this tent down and move on. <laughs> but it's also, a, it's a, it's a, almost a naval term to where it's um, to, to let the, I think it's hoist the rope, to let the rope go and move on. You were bound down by something, but now it's free at last. By the way, that's on Martin Luther King. Imagine that, Dr. Martin Luther King said, free at last, free at last. But it says, I am free at last because he understood because he had a personal relationship with Jesus, but he's free at last. It's this idea of being held down here but being let go to bigger and better things. Can anybody relate to that? It's not that late yet that we're being held down here and we're living in an oppressive, sinfully oppressive, let me make sure I get my politically correct stuff. I'm not talking about oppressive, sinfully oppressive where we're being held down, but the time is coming where we can pull up our tent stakes 
Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 and, and 2 Corinthians 5, he starts talking about our life and our body like a tent. Some of you already feel like you've been folded up. <laughs> Hard to get unfolded in the morning. It means there's more to come. It gets better. So he had his present testimony, and then verse 7, we see his past testimony. The reason, by the way, this just helps a little bit of time in the preaching. The reason he had such a great present testimony was because of his past testimony. I have fought a good fight. I finished my race, my course. I've kept the faith. Not in a morbid sense, but looking toward your individual race coming to a close. Not that it's coming to a close now, but as we look at our Christian race, don't we all want to be able to say, I fought a good fight. I finished my race. It's important there. We all have a race to run. We all have a course that God has designated for us. Don't we all want to say, I've fought a good fight, I've kept the faith, I've finished the race, I've kept the faith? Now, once again, contextually, it's not that somebody, oops, I lost my faith. You don't. What it is is contextually, he's talking about apostates, he's talking about in the last days, people falling away. And he says, Right days, weeks before his death, I have kept the faith. And so there's three things we see here. We see that Paul was a fighter. We see that Paul was a finisher. And Paul was faithful. I have fought a good fight. This is a, a needed reminder week after week in the church to the army of the Lord. I may never. Right? Y'all with me? This, this side never did that song, but this side did. Right. March in the infantry. I love the shooting boy. Every time, I, the teacher was like, shoot the artillery. We're like, Arr. but I'm in the Lord's army. Yes, sir. Let's sing that one next week. He'll have it on the list. I'm like, Who said that? You did. Here's the reality, we're in a fight. We are in a fight, we are in a war. That's why we talk kids, we're in the Lord's army, but now we walk around like a bunch of pansies in a messed up civilization when the church is at war. The, the text is warlike text. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. It's a war. Be on guard, be sober, be vigilant for your adversary, not your friend. The devil is as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. The church has gotten so comfortable, we feel like we're, we're just, um, I probably hurt feelings if I said too much, but we got soft. We get offended by the silliest things. And even in the church, now the, the society has taught us to be that way, by the way. 
Truth is now abolished because it offends people. And, and it's, it can't creep into the church. That's of the world. It's of the devil. I think it's a strategy of the enemy to make us soft and to roll over and play dead. When scripture and even the early church, not just in the first century, but flip through your hymn books, they knew they were in a war. Onward Christian soldiers marching us to war. Well, that was a wartime hymn. No, it wasn't. Talking about being in war. How about, how about keep on the firing line? Yeah, now the old people wake up. I remember that one. <laughs> keep on the firing line. All I remember is people playing it and being real fast and all that stuff. But, but keep on the firing line. If you're in the battle, if you're in the battle for the Lord and right, then keep on the firing line. That's what the song says. If you win, my brother, surely you must fight. Keep on the firing line. There are many dangers that we all must face. If we die still fighting, it's no disgrace. And I, I, that's how I want to go out. I want to go out fighting. I want to go out rolling over and playing dead and hoping they don't get me in a fetal position sucking my thumb somewhere. I want to go out fighting. It's worth it. Paul said, I fought a good fight. I don't know if y'all know this verse in Keep on the Firing Line, but it says, cowards in the service will not find a place. That's old, that's old writing. There were cowards then. Just a few more of them now. We're in a battle. The sooner the church realizes we're at war, we're at war against an enemy, Satan and his army. That's not make-believe. That's not fairy tale. We don't like to talk about it, but he's got an army, and they're, they're, don't, they're not sleeping. They're not taking the week off. They've been fighting a long time. They've been strategizing a long time. The garbage we're seeing happening in our country right now didn't happen last week. It's been a strategy for a long time. I promise you, don't be naive. We don't have people smart enough to make this up last week. It's a lot of smart people over a lot of time and we see it come to fruition where they finally got a corpse and throw some life in to put up there and start telling us all this stuff. I really think, I'm starting to think they found somebody so incoherent and incompetent they could fill him full of the words, pump him up and let him blow out all the words. He can't believe this mess. And this is a strategy over years and years and years, not of politicians, but of the enemy. You have to believe that, or you're out to lunch so far out you'll never get back. That's political. No, it's biblical. That's social. No, it's biblical. The grotesque nature of the abortion industry and those who are pushing it is unnatural at best to use the King James word. You can't make up the stuff they want to do and now they've twisted it so much that the liberal left-winging love and green everything, hate life everything want to convince you that it's about liberty and freedom and that the conservatives are taking away your freedom. That's how messed up we are. So, no, he's way off target now. No, it's going gonna, it's gonna to happen. It's going to get worse and worse when they call right wrong and wrong right. 
and they'll hate those who do good. You're now to the point where if you love life and you support life and you support life-giving industries and organizations, you're wrong and you're against freedom. Because somehow we got so twisted that murder and the ability to murder is taking away someone's freedom. That's how messed up we are. Listen to what's happening and don't be convinced by the enemy that it's political and you should stay out of it. That's why we got the garbage we've got in there now. That's why we have the idiots and the incoherency in there now. Because we stayed out of it. We rolled over. We forgot we were in a fight. They didn't forget they're in a fight. The devil didn't forget he's in a fight. He knows it. He knows if we can make the church soft, it's an easy win. And we're, we're reaping the unfortunate benefits of a soft, don't take offense, Title IX, girly church. Scared of everything. Now what if they do this? What if they do? What if? Please don't live your life by the what ifs. Live your life by the things we know. None of that was in there, so it must have been these. Paul was a fighter. Paul was a finisher. I finished my course. In Acts chapter 20, Paul has given his ministry resume. We, we know this in the church, and Paul had a lot of accolades. He had a, a big resume. He had letters from people, but remember he said, the best letters are letters from you, those of you who've been changed by the gospel that I'm preaching. But Paul did have a nice resume. He had nice education. He had nice experience. But in Acts chapter 20, he said, but none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself so that I might finish my course with joy. The most important thing to Paul was not his accolades and his resume. It was finishing well. And he said, I finished my course. Paul was faithful. In contrast to the apostasy of the last days, Paul had kept the faith. What we're looking toward and where we're headed in America and in the world in Christianity is going to be a sad sight. It's going to be a humbling, somewhat humiliating to some occasion. There's more scripture to follow about the last days. You can take my word for it, or you cannot. You can do the research yourself. But Scripture prophetically tells us that the tension will increase and increase and increase in the last days. It will get hotter and hotter and, quite honestly, harder and harder to be a Christian. But if you truly are, if you truly are, they will be demonstrated by your finishing well and remaining faithful. It's not an encouraging picture of where we're headed. But may we be found faithful. Steve Green wrote a song, and I looked it up because it's got some cool words, but the chorus says, may all who come behind us find us faithful. May the fire of our devotion light their way. May the footprints that we 
leave, lead them to believe. And the lives we live inspire them to obey. May all who come behind us find us faithful. Paul had a present testimony. He's being poured out. He had a past testimony. I've finished well. I've fought well. I've been faithful. Therefore, he had a future testimony. Verse 8. Therefore, henceforth, why? What's that therefore? Because I've been faithful. Because I remain faithful. Because I fought hard. I fought a good fight. By the way, I missed that whole point. It's a good fight. It's worth fighting. If everybody says amen, I won't preach that 12 minutes there. It's a good fight. It's worthwhile. It's a good fight. It's worthwhile. Because of verse 7, we have the promise of verse 8. Because I was faithful, because I fought the good fight, because I finished well. And only because of that, by the way, there's a verse 8. I hope this doesn't offend anybody. I've probably already done that. I would say I'm sorry, but I'd be lying from the pulpit. So I won't. God does, this is going to really, I hope it's going to really sound too pre-K-like. But God's not in the business of giving out participation trophies. You don't just show up and get your name on the roll to get a trophy. No, I'm not going to go there and fuss about that. He says, because of your faithfulness, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me. Stop right there. We see the given crown for you note takers and the giver of the crown, and I'll stop. If you know anything about the Athenian games and all that fun stuff, these guys would kill themselves to win the, to win the race. And you know what they got? A little flowery garland crown. Because I got spare time, I did a little research. It's kind of our, our modern, the, the word there, um, when you look up the crown that they would get, it's, it's kind of silly because it was, um, it was made up of leaves that were similar to our bay leaves, what we cook with, cook with, bay leaves. They would work hard, train hard, nearly kill themselves to win. They didn't get a gold medal. They didn't bite their crown and get on the Wheaties box. Because it was a, a leafy crown. It was a salad on their head. <laughs> the point of this is the, the crown wasn't, there wasn't much in the crown itself, but it was what the crown represented. It represented victory. And Paul says, because I fought hard, because I finished well, because I kept the faith, a crown of righteousness. I, I, made, I, I set the stage for this because you would be amazed at the theologians who like to sit around and argue about the crowns. 
what they look like, what we're going to do with them. I've heard one. I had one in a, in a class that said, well, it's, it's just not really a crown. It's, a, it's, a, it's just kind of figurative of a crown. And, and I'm fine with that. That's fine. Because it's not about the crown. It's what the crown represents. Yeah, Revelation says that the elders will lay the crowns down at his feet. And I think there's some application there. That no matter what we get, we're going we're gonna to give them back to Jesus and say, you deserve it because I didn't do anything worthwhile. But it's not so much the crown, it's what the crown represents. What does a crown represent? The crown represents righteousness. A crown of righteousness. And you'll help me out, and we're getting close to finish, if you'll just understand and acknowledge like this or grunt or something that you are not righteous. And then I'll you all amen that I'm not righteous. Your turn. There's none righteous, no, not one. None of us in our own self could stand before a holy, righteous God, a right standing before God. But if you belong to him, you make him Lord of your life, you finish your race, you fight the good fight, you keep the faith, you persevere till the end because you truly are born again. One day, the giver of the crown which is a whole different like, bonus overtime in the sermon, that in order to get the crown, you got to be in front of the giver of the crown. I, I think about that when we're about to do funerals. That where Paul, this same Paul talks about to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. Uh, listen, people talk about kicking up gold dust and fishing in the crystal sea and all that stuff, and they got their theology and their eschatology all wrong. Here's what's so excited about to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. In his presence. He gives us this crown of righteousness that symbolizes, it's not about what the crown is, it's about the crown, what it represents, that I am righteous. And if you know yourself like I know me, you know you're anything but deserving of a crown of righteousness. But the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, this same Paul writes and says that Jesus who knew no sin became sin for us that you and I might be made known the righteousness of God. And if you're born again, and you keep the faith, you persevere to the end, you fight the good fight, one day, and here's our testimony, here's our future testimony, one day, can you imagine being, I don't like, I like the vision, can you imagine being in line waiting on your crown? <laughs> you looking around, seeing anybody you know? Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Skip. He skipped. <laughs> kind of silly, I know, but how about this? When you imagine that line, don't you want to see your friends and your family in that line? Don't you want to see the people you're sitting with right now in that line? I honestly, I know some of you don't know me well. I don't think there's going to be a line. I think he's got a better situation. Maybe a self-checkout. Maybe he's learned <laughs> from Walmart. We have a future testimony. Christian, believer, the promise of this future testimony is encouragement to live it today. As I brought this song up last week. It will be worth it after all. When I prayed about this sermon and prayed this morning with the deacons, my prayer is that this is encouraging.
to believers. That it's worth it. And, and you just have to excuse my continued week after week if you hear this because I'm trying to say it seven times seven different ways. Parents, it's worth it to keep the faith, to finish well. Grandparents, it's worth it to keep the faith, to finish well. Sunday school teacher, it's worth it. Awana leader, week after week, it's worth it to finish well. Pastor that might be watching because you had a bad Sunday and you want to see what a good church looks like, it's worth it. It really is worth it to keep doing what you've been called to do. Deacons, it's a thankless job, but it's worth it to keep doing. We need some more. We're going to be recruiting. It's worth it to do it, to stay faithful, to finish well, to fight. Would you stand with me? Before you theologians get your notepads out, there's one more part of this. Paul got his crown, but then he tells us believers, not only to me, but to those also who love his appearing. Just, I said it earlier. I'm finishing with this. Are you looking forward to his appearing? Now, once I'm with you. Like I'm, I'm not ready to get on the next bus. I, I want to hang out of here a while. But I'm ready if he comes. And by the way, that we have, we've all got stuff we want to do this week, right? But if he comes back, I promise you, you won't be disappointed you didn't get to go on that trip. I promise you. Are you looking forward to it? Honestly, sadly, seriously, are you dreading it? The most important question you could ever answer is right now. Are you dreading Jesus' return because you know you're not ready? Because you know, based on right this minute, there's no crown of righteousness on your head. Because you've never accepted the one who made us righteous. The one who took your sin, took my sin, became sin for us so that we could be righteous. The good news is you can do that today. You can be certain, be sure, that when it's your time, you'll be made known righteous, crown of righteousness. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for your word that reminds us. No doubt Christians in this room can get excited about this passage of Scripture. And I pray that there are Christians who have been encouraged to keep it on keep doing what you've called them to do to serve to pour themselves out as a sacrifice to exhaust themselves of the calling in, your, in their life God I pray for that person maybe there's a teenager maybe they've been in church a long time but they've never been saved maybe some mom or dad some grandparent they've been, they've been in church or around church for their whole life but they're not really looking forward to your return because they're not ready pray if that's the case they'd get serious today make you Lord of their life thank you for listening today if you'd like to know more about Central Baptist Church events and ministries please visit our webpage at cbckannapolis.com